Hello and welcome to the first episode of Playcast from the team behind Jump Cut Play and the award-winning Jump Cut Online. Today we're talking about lockdown gaming and to do that with me I have Reese. Hello. And Corey. Hello. <laughs> How are we both doing? I'm a bit. I'm doing good. I'm, I'm good. very well, cheers mate. I'm very Glad warm. To hear it. It's humid AF here today. Yeah, it is. I was very sad when buckets. I had to turn off my fan before recording. I was really sad. <laughs> I've shut a window and I'm like, this is a bad move. Yeah, it's warm, but it's <laughs> pissing down outside. So. But yeah, before we get into this topic, lockdown gaming, I thought I would start with something related to I'm, I'm guessing what might be one of our choices that we talk about later. And that is Warzone. Mm. Now, one of the big things that's come out this week is that going forward after Season 5, there is going to be more content, but it's not necessarily going to be Modern Warfare. They're going to try and link it into like the newer Call of Duty games and kind of use it as like a marketing tool. So I just wondered what you guys thought about that. As long as Warzone is still there, you know, and it has that longevity, because you know, we've been playing it like mad over, over lockdown, so I'd like to see that continue, really, but... As long as they're adding new stuff, I'm happy. I don't mind which way they kind of mask it. Mm. As as someone who only plays Warzone, who has not paid for the actual game of Call of Duty, <laughs> cheap skin. <laughs> <laughs> I I just I hope it stays free. Um, mm. And like Corey said, I hope they add new content as well as like a new map, like not just changing Verdansk as it is. I want mm. to see a whole new map to, like to get used mm. to, you know. Because I think Verdansk is, is actually a quite well-designed map, and it's, I like the new updates we've done to like you know, the last few days with mm. Stadium and stuff. But I think it's always nice to refresh the entire area um, every so often just to kind of keep the player base happy and keep them you know, wanting to try, you know, explore new areas and discover mm. new tactics and stuff, you know. So, yeah, I'm happy with the, the fact that Warzone's going to stay with COD because it's been very, very successful. Uh, I just hope mm. that it stays free and it just, just freshens itself up a bit when, with the next big update whenever that may be yeah i mean i think my main concern is with it obviously launching with modern warfare going forward are they going to kind of change the entire aesthetic and the kind of play style of the game to suit Mm. the title that comes out because if the rumors are a bit believed that the new call of duty is set in the cold war are we going to have an entire new revamp with new weapons and everything because i think everybody at the moment's pretty accustomed to how the Mm. modern warfare engine plays Mm. I think as long as it's kind of boots on the floor, I think it'll be fine. I think as long as you can't like jetpack up buildings and all that crazy <laughs> shit that they've kind of gone for the last, well, you know, previously, I think as long as they keep the boots on the floor, I think whatever they do with it, Cold War, it'll be fine. I just think, yeah, I think as long as it keeps, you know, the same kind of gun types, because obviously Cold War is a, my history knowledge is awful, but I'm, I think that was like, what, 60s, 70s, 80s era, is that it? Am I wrong? Yes, 80s, I think. Yeah, so like, I think the guns will be less modern to kind of keep with the aesthetic of the game. Um, but then, like you said, Sam, it's, it'd, be different, it'd be interesting to see what it plays like because like, I had, I actually owned Black Ops 4 and I played Blackout a lot. And I really enjoyed Blackout, but I know like you didn't because it played differently to like the regular COD games. Mm. Um, and like I, Warzone definitely plays smoother than Blackout did. Um so I think they maybe maybe they took kind of what they learned from Blackout and improved it with Warzone, but then it, wasn't it a different company that made Blackout anyway? Wasn't that um, 
Yeah, so Black Ops 4 was Treyarch and yeah. Infinity Ward is who've done Modern Warfare, so they're mm. the original Call of Duty developers. But you bring up a good point, actually, mentioning Blackout, because I was going to ask you what you actually see different between like coming from Blackout to Warzone and how they've maybe improved it and maybe what's not improved between them as well. Um, I was one of the people that I quite liked the fact that you had to kind of find the gun modifications around the map like it made the gameplay a bit more interesting because you know some people just have you know better sights better ammunition you know magazines or whatever so i think warzone did kind of make it a bit more even on that front but i did like experimenting and then i always had like my favorite you know mods that i could add to my guns and i was like oh, i found this site or whatever which is always quite fun um and that comes as well from like how much i love things like apex legends that has the same kind of gun mod um, style of as you progress through the map um, but I think Warzone did streamline it and like I said I think Warzone runs smoother and plays smoother than Blackout did um, even though it's basically the, fundamentally the same game um, but I think I found Warzone to be A more enjoyable to play with your friends than Blackout was um, and I think it just generally does feel nicer to shoot things if that makes any sense yeah <laughs> did, you, did you have uh, Black Ops 4 Corey? no I am um... I stopped playing Call of Duty after Advanced Warfare. I just never got back into it. And then they released World War Two, and mm. I played the campaign for that, but I never did any multiplayer or anything. I was just kind of excited just to play a kind of World War Two um, single-player narrative. Mm. But it wasn't until this Modern Warfare that I kind of got back into Call of Duty. Um, again, it's the campaign, but also... The online has been brilliant, I think. The multiplayer, the customization of the weapons, there's a lot of density to to having control over your characters and all that mm. sort of stuff. So and especially when Warzone first dropped, I wasn't fussed because I I didn't really get into the hype of Fortnite or other battle royale games. So I was just a bit like, nah, I'll just carry on playing multiplayer, I'll go back to story mode. But it wasn't until you guys started playing Warzone. And I was watching your videos on Twitter and stuff. I thought, oh, I'll give this a go. It looks quite fun, actually. And I, I haven't looked back since, really. Do you think it's the fact that... Because I played COD 4, like, when that came out on, like, the 360. Do you think the fact that it was, like, a game that you knew, but it was also new at the same time, do you think that affected how popular this game was? Yeah, became? yeah. Yeah, I think... I played Modern Warfare. I played Modern Warfare 2, Modern Warfare 3. They were, like, you know, massive in my, in my growing up as a kid. And, you know, even though I wasn't 18 and whatever. But, um... <laughs> It was, it was like an event thing. You could come home from school with all your mates, you jump on COD, you know, and you play until the early hours, until your mother's telling you to shut up and go to bed. Mm-hmm. And I think because it's a kind of remaster or reboot of that series, I was drawn more to coming back to, to Modern Warfare. Yeah. Um, and even though it's quite different, you know, I'd still think that that boots on the ground kind of like modern warfare. I just, yeah, that, that's, that's my shit. Like, that's what I get really invested in. I think me and Yuka have had like a similar kind of journey with the Call of Duty games because I, I really liked most of them. Like COD Four is my favourite, but I really liked mm. most of them up until mm. about Black Ops Two, and then when it started going for the kind of more futuristic settings and going yeah. for more kind of more like a Halo kind of play style in some aspects, <laughs> yeah. I, I kind of fell out of it. And then World War Two came out, and that, that I I did the opposite to you. I did the multiplayer, but I never did the campaign. Oh, really? Yeah, and I found the multiplayer to be a bit of a return to form. Yeah. But I don't think the game was that strong enough that I wanted to play all the time, so I ended up trading it in. 
And then I don't think there were another one between that and um, Modern Warfare, was there? I don't think there was. But when they announced they were going back to Modern Warfare, I think that like really ignited the flames again for for Call of Duty. But with Warzone as well, I think away from just them adding content to it in that kind of view, it's got more longevity because they'll be able to bring it to the PS5 as well. I'd be curious to see how the PS5 will affect it. Because they definitely experimented with 200 players on the PS4. Yeah. And, mm. like, it, the games were too long. But I also think as well that the actual game couldn't handle that many players. Like, it didn't feel as enjoyable to play it with that many. Whereas, like, on the PS5, because the, the machine will run smoother, it might be able to handle better things. So you'd be able to, you know, see further away. And that might impact yeah. being able to add more players into it. I don't know. But... The, two, the 200 player mode as well, I don't know whether it was just me, but I, I kind of experienced a lot of lag, a lot of yeah. s- server skips. Yeah, I just felt I like yeah. it was pushed at its max and it was mm-hmm. struggling, like a car going up you know, a steep hill in fourth gear. It was that, yeah. you know, it, it needed a bit of a helping hand, didn't it? it so did. I'm hoping that the PS5 is going to run much more smooth. I think with, with them um, kind of testing the 200 player game mode as well, I think... Other than that, they have been using the PS4 like version of it as kind of like a tech demo in a way to kind of see what they can do mm. with the engine. So really? I'm curious to see how the PS5 would do it. I don't know whether that's that intentional, but I'm guessing they are using all these different updates and game modes to see how much they can actually throttle the engine until it mm. breaks, which <laughs> we've all encountered many times. I mean, yeah, the minute it's going through a bit of a phase now where... If you pull out a heartbeat sensor, it will crash for about five seconds on you. Yeah, which is yeah, always it's fun. so odd. <laughs> but that brings me on to a good segue into my next topic. Tonight is actually the state of play event for PlayStation, and apparently they're not going to divulge any price details or anything like that. Because I still think they're holding out for Microsoft to kind of bite the bullet and go first with that. But they are going to show off some games, so they're going to look at Spider-Man, Miles Morales, Ratchet and Clank. And Horizon Forbidden West, is that the sequel to... Um... Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, that's the one. I was losing the title then in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't have to show anything else other than that. Um, are we expecting, do you guys expect them to show anything else? I'd like to see a bit more Hitman 3 from when I saw that at the uh, mm. the big mm. announcement reel they did a couple of weeks ago. I'd love to see more on Resident Evil Village, um, yeah. which they mm. released at the first event. Um, massive Resident Evil fan, always have been, and it looks like it's gonna be quite close to a uh, kind of loose remaster of Resident Evil Four. Maybe there's talks that 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 might be the case, but with Chris Redfield coming into the narrative, so I don't know. I I'm hoping it'll be a bit more um released on that because you know Resident Evil has had a kind of renaissance really it lost its way during Resident Evil 5 and Resident Evil 6 Resident Evil 7 well Resident Evil 7 was okay um, but they're coming back now to, to to its roots back to horror and the two remasters were fantastic Resident Evil 2 Resident Evil 3 remasters so looking forward to Village and I'm hoping it's going to continue along that form I played the Resident Evil 2 they did a one shot demo where you could literally yeah. you played it yeah. once and that's all you could do and I mm. loved that that was really mm. fun um, but I never play actual game because I'm a bit of a. I couldn't honestly. I I can't recommend it enough. It's an absolute <laughs> masterpiece, mate. Honestly, the third one has its issues. Mm. Um, it's much shorter. I think you can like speed run it in like an hour and ten. Or something ridiculous. Really? Like that. Yeah, yeah. The uh, mental decision to do that. But 
the second remaster in particular is an absolute masterpiece. It captures the essence of the of, of the original so well mm. and added a modern slant to it. So yeah, definitely give that a go, mate. Definitely. Was that the one with Mr. X in it? Yeah, man. Yeah, Top yeah. hat wearing Mr. X just follows you around <laughs> everywhere. The most terrifying being ever. It's, it's, it's terrible. You see, I'm an absolute novice when it comes to Resident Evil. I've, I've mm. barely played any of them other than the original on the PlayStation 1 mm. and a bit of Resident Evil 5. So mm. if you had to kind of sell someone on it to kind of get into them, how would you do it? Oh, God. I think... With survival horror, I don't think there's much out there at the moment that does the genre justice. And I think with Resident Evil, I think alongside Silent Hill, they kind mm. of kick-started that genre. Mm. And it's out of the two franchises, I think Resident Evil has had the most longevity. You know, it's zombies, it's amazing characters, amazing storylines, betrayals. And, you know, the gameplay in most of them are brilliant. But I'd say avoid five, avoid six. Um start at the Resident Evil remaster that came out on the GameCube and I think it's on you can get it on the PS4 and Xbox One as well. It's right. uh, survival horror at its finest mate. So Resident Evil remasters a buy then. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I might have to pick that it's one not up. Not for me. I'm too scared. Yeah, I'd love I'd love <laughs> I'd love to see you stream it. Just oh, to watch nah. your reactions man. I honestly, like, <laughs> we've talked about this before, I think me and you Sam, where I've played um Alien Isolation. Oh, mm. An incredible mm. game. I absolutely loved it. However, I've only played for it for about two hours because it was <laughs> yeah. so scary. So I just couldn't, yeah, I just couldn't get past it. It was like, because you know how the, the alien learns how you play. Mm. The first time I saw the alien in the vent, that's when I just turned the game off and I was like, that's funny, I'm done. <laughs> like, I can't play that game anymore. <laughs> I think I've played that game for maybe an hour too scared to play it. And I don't know whether it's just fear because I've got in my head like that the game knows how I'm going to approach it. It's learning how I'm doing it. Or whether it's kind of like me overhyping it and whether the game is actually that smart. But then I've watched like a big breakdown on YouTube. It's like, okay, it is actually that smart. So maybe <laughs> I should shut up. But no, I, I can't handle that game. It's very, very good. Yes. And it captures the atmosphere, the, mm. the films very well. But I'm not man enough to play the game. I remember I played... Um, the they did lots of DLC for it, and I played the Ripley DLC that came out for it, which is a much shorter kind of mission, which mm. is maybe about two hours long. And I played mm. at my friend's house, and he gave me his like surround sound headphones, and I honestly I couldn't sleep for three days. <laughs> <laughs> it, was like, it was horrendous. <laughs> With that being like a PS4 release as well, I was reading the other day something to do with the PS5 controller. Um, you can use the the normal DualShock now we have for the PS4, but you can only use it with PS4 games on the PS5. What? Which seems it seems a bit complicated to me that they would go out their way to kind of disconnect like the player experience with two controllers. Is that I... because the new controller has like different controls on it? You know, than... Yeah, it's it's got like the new um, is it the haptic feedback yeah. and stuff like that? So I don't know whether because of the mm. technology behind that isn't compatible yeah. i'm not sure but i mean you've had like ps2 games on the ps4 and while not all of the kind of functions register with the controller sometimes like vibration and stuff like that they're still playable oh of course yeah so i'm not sure but what then, the decision is there i've not i don't really understand the like the controversy around it personally just because like if, if i think back to you know going from uh like you know 360 to the xbox one you couldn't use your 360 controller with an xbox one could you 
Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest. I'm I'm pretty sure once I had some friends around when we were playing Modern Warfare 2 on a PS3, and my friend said if you plug in the PS4 controller, yeah. it'll work. Yeah, really? I think it needs to be attached by the micro USB. Right. Yeah, and it, and, it, and then to my surprise, it did actually work. Mm. Oh. So I'm not sure, again, why they're choosing to kind of disconnect the experience, but then again, it could be like a technical thing. I think it will be. I think it is yeah. probably down to this new controller. But then I I don't really understand what this haptic feedback thing is because to me it just sounds like special vibrations, which <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's it's really hard <laughs> to describe kinky. it. It does. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just like I don't really understand what makes that so special, you know, compared to regular vibrations you get on like Ghost of Tsushima now, for example. You know? Yeah, I've I've not really read much upon the controller to be honest. And I know at the minute most of the info about the console over the kind of the handful of titles that we know about has been about the controller mm. to me that i'm not that keen about knowing about that mm. i want to know the actual kind of meat and gravy of the console yeah but that's just me but tonight with that event it starts at nine i'm curious to see how much they'll actually show with the games they've got and how much of a completed state they'll be in because mm. Spider-Man's supposed to be one of the first titles and it comes out in November. Yeah, it comes out I'm soon. looking forward to that, man. Me oh, too. It's going to be killer. I'm hoping because I remember when it, they announced it at the first day of play a few months ago, um, they, it, all the footage of Spider-Man was just cinematics. So I'm hoping mm. we'll see some actual PS5 gameplay. Mm. Um, mm. But then I, I, I just have my concerns because this is gonna. This is kind of a different argument. However, I just I'm not convinced that the jump from PS4 to PlayStation Five is gonna be as big as it was from PS3 to PS4. You know, so I think when if they show us gameplay for Spider-Man tonight to show like oh how cool it looks when you're swinging through the city, it might not look substantially different to how it did on the PS4 because the Spider-Man PS4 graphics are incredible anyway. Are they using the PS4, the, the the other Spider-Man game, as a kind of benchmark for this one? I don't think they're updating much of the graphics, are they? Um, or that's just an extension I, to that game? I don't think it's a, a new game in its, in its entirety. No, well, that was part of the whole argument around what Miles Morales is. And I have mm. heard that it is its own game, and they're adding in the Spider-Man PS4 game as like an extra free thing on the disc as well. Right. Um, okay. So it is going to be its own story. However, I don't think it'll be as long as the Spider-Man PS4 game was. Yeah, I've seen a lot of kind of comparisons to it being like Uncharted: The Lost Legacy. Yeah, I've seen that. So it's its own entity, but I don't think it'll be the kind of like thirty-plus hour campaign that you had on but Spider-Man, or even less than that, depending on how much you played it. If it's a shorter game, I hope that they're not going to charge you full price because they did that with. Resident Evil 3 just gone, they charge 50 quid for it, and it's a much shorter game, just like half half the duration of Resident Evil 2, so I'm hoping that the price will reflect that, but I think that's quite optimistic. Yeah, I think it's going to be a 60 quid game, I think. No, maybe, yeah, yeah maybe I think 50. it would be as well. Um, but be, only because if, if the actual game is not that long, they mm. do have the added bonus of, oh, we've actually got the full Spider-Man game on there as well, so yeah, you're paying yeah. for two games in a 50 quid. That's, that's fair enough, that's fair enough. I'm just hoping they kind of take a bit of um, like a page from their own book, actually, Insomniac, because the DLC for Spider-Man, you could buy all three packs at one point for £15, mm. and I think they were eight quid on their own, and they're at least two or three hours more of story in each of them. Mm. So I'm hoping they kind of take a page from that, and like mm. Corey says, don't charge full price for it. 
wasn't Resident Evil free. Like, I've seen some people speed play it in like about three or four hours, or even less than that. Resident Evil Three, I speed ran it in about one hour twenty. Christ. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> my god. It's very short. Like the first time you play it, you're trying to soak in all the details. It's a very fun experience. Probably take you about three hours. Um, right. Is that it? Mm. Yeah, it's very short. <laughs> I'm. I, th- I think I've been warped by the games I've been playing recently because I used to be a, a person that does not like long games. I like to kind of in and out, quick and dirty kind of thing. Um, but then I've played things like Death Stranding, Red Dead Two, Spider Man mm. was long. You've got Last of Us 2 was well long, Shishima's well long, The Witcher 3 is well long. So I'm like, I think those games have kind of warped my perception of how, of how long a game should be. Um, but three hours is short for a game. Yeah, I just just looked it up now. The world record for the speed run of Resident Evil 3 was 40 minutes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> That's less and they, than a pound a minute. <laughs> yeah, and they, and they, yeah, they charged you 50 quid for that. Like, is that I paid like 50 a, a legitimate playthrough? There's no like kind of like no, no, level yeah, yeah, That's yeah, a yeah, legitimate no, play. Literally linear from start to finish. Oh my god. Yeah, oh my god. It's a, it had a lot of uh, complaints mm. from me as well, but... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Mad. Bloody hell. Well, just wrapping up on the, the state of play, I, it's an odd one. I'm optimistic for it, but how much are they actually going to show us? Because it seems like more than ever in kind of the waves of generations that we've got with consoles, they're really, really holding out on each other until like the last minute to give mm. all their info on either console. I think considering the Xbox showcase, the other month, I think they could show anything and they'll be fine. Because <laughs> I, I, I think Sony have got it on lock this year with the next generation console. Honestly, I, I've, I've spoken to people who have like diehard uh, Xbox fanatics and they are saying I might make the leap to PS5 this time. I think... The only thing I think that will help Xbox is that they recently bought loads of different game studios. So I think they might start this next gen slower but they might then kind of improve as it goes along, whereas I think PS5 will start much stronger. Yeah. Well, there's rumours that Microsoft are trying to buy um, the rights for the, the Arkham series. I, no I hate that. That's a, that's a topic for another day, because I could, I could rant about that for <laughs> I'll be gutted. I'll be gutted. So much. <laughs> Oh, piss off, no. <laughs> That's well, then, at the same time, though, you could argue that the Xbox people were disappointed about Spider-Man being a PS4 game. So it's the same thing yeah. going backwards. Spider-Man, Last of Us, you know. Mm. The... I think it's just because I've, I've personally always had a Sony console, so maybe I'm a bit spoiled because I've had both the pleasure of playing Spider-Man and Batman as well. <laughs> so Me too, actually, not... yeah. Not having an Xbox, I wouldn't really see it that way. Like, oh, I've just got Batman. I guess I'll just have to play Spider-Man 2 on PS2 then. (laughs) (laughs) Today's topic of the podcast, I thought with this being the first episode, rather than just kind of deep diving on one specific game, I know over the past few months more than ever, I think all of us have played probably more games than maybe in the last five years. Yeah, definitely. Just because of the circumstances we've all been in, so I just wanted to kind of start. What what have we all been playing? Who wants to take that one? Corey, you go first. Yeah, okay. So um, obviously we were talking about at the start. Warzone has been a massive part of our, our experience of lockdown. I only started playing it at the start of lockdown um, mm. with you guys, 
and you know, I've loved every evening that we've played it. But outside of that, I've been going back um, to replay The Last of Us, ready for The Last of Us 2, which I'm currently playing. Um, but I think the trend that I'm having at the minute, I'm playing a lot of narrative games. Mm. So I used to play a lot of games, like online sports games and that sort of thing, just to kill the time now and then. But I think coming from a film background that we all have, I think narrative games are what has given me the most escapism. Mm. So, you know, The Last of Us is probably one of the best narrative games you know, of our generation. So I've been hooked on that. I've been hooked on um, playing the Batman games again, the Arkham games, um, Red Dead 2, just anything like that, really. Remember you said that you were actually a fan of Arkham City when you replayed it? which to me was just like blasphemy. Yeah, so <laughs> I replayed Arkham Asylum, and I thought, yeah, this is brilliant, like collecting all the Riddler trophies and doing all the riddles and stuff. Mm. And then I go in there into City, I don't know, I felt it was, it was a bit overwhelming. Mm. Like going from Arkham Asylum, where you're kind of confined to the grounds of the, of the asylum and, you know, the little rooms that they got there, and then go into like, look, now you have Arkham City. And it's just like, I don't know, I felt as if, I wanted to scale back a bit. I don't know what it was. I just felt as if I was kind of overwhelmed by everything. And I just, it wasn't as fo- I wasn't as fond of it as I was when I played it for the first time. Mm. But then I played Arkham Knight again. And I love, I, I loved that more than I did the first time I played that. So it's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird, weird experience for me. I loved Arkham Knight when I played it. I've not played it since. I think I, cause it was the free game on the, on PS plus like mm. a good six months ago or something. And I started that again. And I just forgot how good that game is. It's yeah, so did I. So, so did I. Good. I think there's, you know, it relies way too much on the Batmobile. You know, yeah. it has its problems, but given Scarecrow more of a dark uh, persona than it was in Asylum, uh, I think it was a much more broody kind of experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the whole enigma of who is the Arkham Knight, even though some people saw it coming, I know Sam probably did. For people like me who didn't read the comics or anything like yeah. that, I was like, oh my god, this is like... I was fully engrossed in the story. Me I too. think playing it the second time, even though you know who he is, and I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, you still have that like fun and that investment in it. So Arkham Knight, I was really surprised how much I liked that again. The thing with the Arkham Knight kind of twist again, which we won't spoil, mm. um, it's just that before the game came out, they said that the Arkham Knight was a new character that mm. they'd made fresh. So when I got to that point where they revealed who he was in the game, I was like, really? That's cheap. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I've gone back to Arkham Knight, like Reese says as well, and I'm I'm not that like hot on it anymore, if I'm honest with you. Mm. I think the actual story itself, like minus the can Arkham Knight kind of reveal, is really good. And like you said, the Scarecrow the, uh, aspect of it is the strongest part. Mm. And especially the kind of evolution of using the Joker as part of Batman's psyche as well. And that's I why that's probably... I love that. So, you, you know, even though he's, like, dead and he's gone, he is still very much alive in Batman's mind and yeah. how that affects some of his decision-making. And I, that was such a genius move to keep the Joker alive in that respect. Yeah. I, f- I think they integrated that really well into mm. the actual gameplay as well because there's, like, little minute moments that you might miss where you'll walk around the environment and, like, a billboard in the background will have the Joker on it mm. and you'll think about it for a second saying, wait, what? And then you'll, <laughs> you'll turn the camera back to it and it'll have gone. Yeah, little moments so the, like that. They're kind yeah. of playing with you like that and I really enjoyed the aspect. I think it is one of the best kind of representations of 
how the Joker's always manifested himself inside of Batman's mind. Mm. But I'm sad because my favourite Arkham game isn't actually available on PS4 to play. Is that Origins? It is. Yeah, I, pl- I played it at the start. Is that the one with uh, Ra's al Ghul? Is, is it that one? It's Black Mask. Is that City? Yeah, Black Mask and Deathstroke. Ra's al Ghul is Arkham City, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's okay. Yeah. I liked um, Origin because it had a boss fight kind of system and then when I came to playing Ghost of Tsushima, the dual system on that is very similar it is. to it. It is. So I really enjoy that. And the atmosphere as well in Arkham Origins, I've always kind of preferred. It's got more of like a Tim burton kind of vibe to it. I think the problem with that game is is in comparison to Arkham Knight where you can always fly around and beat the shit out of people. In Arkham Origins, once you've kind of beaten everybody up, there's nobody left. Yeah. It's just kind of a very empty world. So it doesn't so, really have much replayability about it. It's just no. Much the the story's great, and it's got great mechanics introduced. But mm. in comparison to Arkham Knight, which when I did, it was the first game I bought for the PS4. Mm. And when I finished it, I just used to drive around the Batmobile all the time. Yeah. And it helped because it had a Ben Affleck skin as well. So that was obviously yeah, that's a what, that's for me I, to come back to it. <laughs> I came back to it, and it had the Batfleck skin. It had the Dark Knight skin. It had. I was like, oh my god. I was just like, this is amazing. <laughs> Unreal. I remember mm. I played Arkham Origins well, but then I played that only once because I do remember that game had a really bad launch on the PC. Yeah, um, it was horrendous. It had like <laughs> shocking um, like glitches on there. But I remember my issue with Arkham Origins is that it didn't feel like Arkham City did in terms of the gameplay. It just didn't feel as like kind of like tight as it used to because it was a different company that made it, wasn't it? It was... um. Warner Brothers Montreal, I think. Rather yeah, than it was, yeah. Rocksteady or whatever. Um, yeah, Rocksteady. Yeah, they it. took the development duties off of Rocksteady so they could kind of crack on with yeah. Arkham Knight. Um, but I remember as well, one of my big things with it was that I love Mark Hamill as Joker. Oh, yeah. So hearing Troy Baker do like a Mark Hamill impression for the Joker was like <laughs> not as satisfying <laughs> for me <laughs> as uh, Mark Hamill because Mark Hamill's Joker is like. The quintessential oh, it's legendary. Joker voice. It's legendary. Yeah. yeah. The Last of Us as well. Again, you're gonna hate me, Corey, but I'm I'm not that hard on it. What? I know. I I think it's a perfectly fine game. Oh mate, you're underselling it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so I've, close I've, to telling you to get fucked. Uh, I mean, <laughs> look, I've got I've, I've got it as one of the free games on PS Plus. I, I've got it on my account, so I might re-download it and revisit it. But I did play it when it came out, and I thought it was it was fine. Uh, I hate you so much. <laughs> that was one of those games that I got that early in my PS4 kind of life because mm. I got the PS4 later than like release, and maybe like a year or two after it. So yeah, Last of Us Remastered was already out, so I think my friends were like, "You've got to play Last of Us." So I downloaded it. I think after I finished Arkham Knight, and I was just in love with it. Yeah, I like, guess a game in terms of like storytelling, acting, performances. Oh, there's oh gameplay like mm. it was amazing i know i i've never really understood there's been a lot of discussion around last of us and how like you don't like have much of an agency in the game because you're just kind of controlling these two characters on like a journey but i'm like yeah but th- when the journey's that good i mm. don't care as long yeah, as I'm the, the gameplay that. itself is satisfying where I'm, i am shooting headshots and all that kind of stuff i'm like yeah that's what i really love to do you know so yeah last of us and last of us 2 which i won't spoil because Corey is playing it, but I yeah. adored Last of Us 2. I absolutely I think, loved it. I think the reason I love The Last of Us so much is going back to my kind of roots with survival horror, you know, mm. and keeping care of your resources, backtracking sometimes, making yeah. sure that you have enough 
um, resources at your at your disposal to defeat certain enemies in certain parts of the mm-hmm. and are looped in that sort of thing. I just love that kind of. I, I get so immersed in it. Uh, you pick, you're going around picking up like half a scissor, and you're like, shit, yeah, I got a scissor, I got a scissor, you know. <laughs> it, thing, it just it 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 just means so much. And I think with the second one, I've only I'm only like maybe like, not even a quarter way through it. I don't think, but that, they've added so much to the mechanics of that game, mm. and I am all the way in. I'm absolutely loving it. It's really good. Mm. I think it's one of those. The second one as well. It, it plays differently than the first one because. I don't think it's as horror-ish as the first game was mm. um, because the enemy types are all different. However, you will still have the same thing. Like, you'll meet some enemies, mainly the zombies or the infected, mm. Mm. and one of them will just rock your shit so hard that for the rest of the game, you will always have Molotov on you just in case. You know? <laughs> it's that kind of thing. It's it's so frustrating, but you just always have to have some sort of fire-based weapon with you at all times. Mm. So you've just completed that recently, haven't you, Reese? I have. A couple of weeks ago. Other than that, what what else have you been playing? I know The Last of Us was one of your big kind of anticipated releases in lockdown because I was. remember as, as soon as it started um, lockdown, I just remember you like, it's okay, there's only a couple more weeks to The Last of Us. <laughs> then it got pushed back again. Oh. Then you're like, no, nah, it's okay, there's only a couple more days to The Last of Us. <laughs> Honestly, yeah, me and my mate from work, we were both like obsessed with Last of Us for years. And then so when we knew part two was coming out we both pre-ordered it and we were just waiting and waiting and waiting and i remember on the day that it came out his copy arrived hours before mine did so he was way into the game before i'd even started it and i was just so jealous um, Bastard. yeah uh, <laughs> but in terms of what i've been playing so i've been playing like Corey said it'll be lots of warzone with you lot and it's been amazing um mm. but my lockdown started with the witcher 3 um, oh which I is played a, that. it's really good um mm. it's just again it's it's much older than like, the average kind of next gen game it came out in like 2013 or something um and i started it months ago i think in like december of last year and it was that was before i got into my longer games like red Dead 2 and stuff because mm. when i started witcher 3 i was just so overwhelmed with what i had to do and like the map and the world is so massive in witcher that i was just like i just don't know where to even begin but then lockdown started and i just had all this free time to just kind of sink into the game and then now I'm 75 hours into it, and I've still not finished it. Um, my God. Honestly, it's the longest game I've ever played in my entire life, and I've loved every second of it. it... I was so close. Yeah, I was so close to buying it, and then I watched some of the gameplay, and I was like, oh, "That looks really outdated." It is. Yeah, was... it is a bit old school. However, mm. the the like the sword stuff is really satisfying, and mm. the way you kind of mix it in with magic, with potions and spells and stuff, is way mm. more in depth than I think I even realized. Like, I didn't realise until probably hour 60 how useful things like potions and oils were. So you can, like, add oils onto your sword to make your sword work better against certain enemies. And that just, like, changed my entire kind of approach Mm. to fights and battles and stuff. Um, But then I've also, so apart from Witcher 3, when I've I've not finished it, I'm going to go back to it at some point. I've also been playing um, Ghost of Tsushima. Which I mean, Sam. Here we go. (laughs) Here we go. We've been talking about it for ages. And I'm not going to talk about it that much because as a little plug, um, when you hear this episode, I have my Jump Cut Play review of Tsushima on the website. Um, And it is a game that I honestly loved. I have some flaws with it. It's not a perfect game by any stretch of imagination, but it's a game that kind of hooked me in so well and so quickly that I just had to basically just fall in love with it it was just one of those games that instantly grabbed me because it, it feels like 
lots of things like Shadow of Mordor and Assassin's Creed are good ones and it's just got such a good vibe to it and the world is so well designed and it's just really easy to pick up and play. You haven't got to kind of commit to hours of it like that with Last of Us 2. It's much more casual to go into but even then the gameplay is really satisfying and the combat and the kills are really good and it's the music and the setting and the black and white mode and the photo mode and it's just it's mm. s- such a good game to have sunk the last what two or three weeks of my life to um and it arrived at the end of the school year as well so it was like the perfect time <laughs> to kind of dive into a whole new game um but yeah that's been a great highlight of lockdown was the uh, ghost of shishima for me i never heard of it like honestly like i didn't really hear of it any in any way shape or form throughout the build-up of it but when you mm. guys started playing and I remember Sam was saying, oh, it has this beautiful black and white mode. You know, you're a samurai. I thought, oh, like Kurosawa. And he was like, yeah, it's called Kurosawa mode. I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I need this. <laughs> Honestly, it's really good. I remember I turned it on really early in the game because I heard about how it kind of works and stuff. And then I just happened to um, have it on when I played my first duel in the whole game. And I was like, oh, my God, this is <laughs> epic. Like, it just looked so cool. Um, but I'm like, I was like you in that I, I knew it was coming out and I watched some like videos about it, but I was not convinced by it until the reviews dropped for it because I watched them play some kind of gameplay and it just, it felt like a pale imitation of games like, like Shadow of the Colossus and stuff. Like it mm. had the same kind of like horse vibe and, mm. uh, but I just wasn't convinced and then the reviews came out and they were all really positive. So I thought school's finished. I've got nothing else to do. I'll just pre-order it. <laughs> And it's been one of the best investments I've made, considering it was, you know, probably the best one I've made since Death Stranding, which was also equally a surprise at how good it was. Um, but yeah, if you if you want to pick it up, Corey, yeah, you should. I yeah, I know, I know, I will. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny that you mentioned Death Stranding actually, because the games I've been playing, I've not really played that many. There's only about maybe two or three games I've played, and obviously one of them is Warzone, like we've said. Um, Death Stranding and maybe Dark Souls, which I revisited a little bit as well. Oh god! Are the games I've played over lockdown and Death Stranding, like you've said, it's it's such a long journey, but I think it hit more for me because we're all inside and the world of Death Stranding is so eerily similar to everything that's going on right now. It is weird. It's so odd, and and I felt like a really like personal connection with everything like decision i made every kind of parcel that i had to deliver i was like prioritizing Wait. different missions like this guy needs this medicine so i'm gonna go to him <laughs> fuck fuck the film director who wants his action figures i'm <laughs> going to go deliver this medicine <laughs> death stranding's been an absolute experience and ever since playing it i've just like i can't stop thinking about it mm. it's it's a hard game to sell on to someone it's such a difficult sell. Yeah, that's my well, that's my issue because I was looking into it. I know money's a bit tight lately, and I'm just thinking, I'm gonna get a game. And so I looked at Death Stranded, and I just thought, I just don't want to be a glorified post office, you know, postman <laughs> for, 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 for seventy six hours of my life. Do you know what I mean? I was just a bit like, yeah. nah, that's the, not the, really the for me. The thing is, I can't even say that you're wrong in saying that. <laughs> it, it, in a way, you are. But mm. the kind of big thing about the game that really sold it for me is. It doesn't have like a traditional multiplayer, but it has like a, a system where every kind of structure that you build is represented in other players' worlds. So That's I cool. may have at one point, without even knowing, used a structure that Reese had put somewhere in the game. Mm-hmm. 
it's probably like a one in a million chance, but there is a chance that I've probably used the zip line he's put up to make oh, the game easier. I've made zip lines everywhere. You probably did. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> the the biggest like region I did the zip lines was um when you finally get to like where Hartman lives and the yeah, paleontologist. Yeah. That mountain region, because that was absolute hell to navigate. And it was like you had to have like certain exosuits help you climb mountains and stuff. And I yeah. just remember having to sacrifice different kind of objects, but I can't carry this now because I just can't get over this damn mountain. Um, but then, like, just say how kind of addictive it is. I was telling Sam the other day that I was watching one of my favorite streamers on Twitch, and he was playing Death Stranding, and he wasn't even doing any missions in the game. He wasn't d- delivering any packages. He was literally wandering around the mountains, building a zipline track to take him from point A to point B in like the most efficient way possible. And I was watching a man walking for two hours, and I was hooked on it. Like I was honestly, sort of the Walking Dead. Yeah, it was just like I was completely enthralled, even though I played the whole game. Like I know how the story goes and stuff, but I was still hooked on it. And that was a game that I spent the full fifty quid on it when it came out. And I, Me too. Yeah, I bought it as a complete shot in the dark because I'd never played a Kojima game before, never played a Metal Gear Solid or anything. I thought oh, this is the oh. biggest investment to like risk reward in my entire life and thank god i loved it mm. <laughs> but then just to kind of before i kind of i've talked a lot for a second but to kind of show you how difficult it is to sell um i sent the game for free to jump cuts editor-in-chief tom sheffield <laughs> and it's been returned to me today and he's barely played it so what? yeah i've got it in my inner package on my sofa right now <laughs> tom i know I'd expect nothing less from Tom. He's an absolute <laughs> fucking nuisance. <laughs> yeah. So like the fact that uh, so I gave it to someone for free and he couldn't play it tells you how difficult that game is to sell. At least fire in my way, mate. I make sure it gets played. Mate, anyway, I will. Mate. I will. Because <laughs> I've got no use for it. You can have it. I will send it away. It got to the point where I had such like an an odd connection with a game where. With the structures of a people I'd built, I, f- I would feel guilty if I deleted somebody else's structure out of the game. <laughs> <laughs> like I really needed like the bandwidth to make my own like I don't know like a post box or a generator box. for the bike. No way! this game exist, man. Post box. <laughs> you can make you can make a post box yeah, where obviously you can like put the packages in you you live in, or you can leave those packages behind and either send. Um, a bot like a like a robot to go and do it for you, mm. or you can leave it for other players to pick up. Yeah, you can't leave suspicious packages laying around. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it was 20, even, 20. it was really nice though, because you would put it in a post box, and then you like literally probably three days later you get oh Johnny Boy sixty nine has delivered your package for you. I'm like oh Johnny <laughs> mate, cheers for that. <laughs> what a guy, what a guy. And that, and that's like another like beautiful part of the the multiplayer engine as well is the like system. Oh yeah, it it felt so like immense, like when you built a new part of like the road so you could take the the vehicles on, mm-hmm. and it it would come up like the next time you load up the game. Oh, you've now received ten thousand likes from other players, and mm-hmm. it's like how the hell of ten thousand other people in the world played the game at the same time? And like, yeah, I'm gonna like this guy's road. Thank you, dude. I know. It's like sending love on people. Literally is. <laughs> Like even then, you say it, you laugh at that. However, you can in like the friends list because you, you, there's no like you can't really connect with your PS4 players directly. You're linked no. with like a random server basically all the time. Mm. So you've got a list of everybody you've kind of come into contact with, but you can like favorite players on that list. Yeah, so, I did that. So, yeah, because 
I remember that there was a few players that I kept seeing, and I was like, this guy's made a great bridge over there. He's because some good ladders are on the right place. I'm like, this guy is a favor. I'm going to put him so I can see more of his stuff. So you that... did kind of have a Bebo top eight, like on your friends list in Death Stranding. It was incredible. Was Johnny Boy 69 at the top of that list? Oh, obviously, mate. Absolutely love <laughs> Good old boy, Johnny. All Again, is... like <laughs> listening to you sell that kind of system must sound so boring. Do you know what? I, I, I am in. I am sold. <laughs> <laughs> he built a post box. What kind of game is this? <laughs> it's like honestly, it's like you've got to build stuff like generators to help like keep yourself walking. Like it's not that's not what they're used for. Is that you? Your exosuit needs power to work, so you've got to build a battery pack to charge up your own legs. Like that's the kind of <laughs> game it is. But I love it. It's wicked. <laughs> I can't believe we've not even like got Corey onto one of the other parts of the gameplay as well. Not, I mean, we haven't even touched the story, which is just oh. insane Bonkers. in itself. Yeah. But we haven't even touched on BB. Oh, the baby of dreams. What? So, yeah. Corey, you have a, there's these things in the game. <laughs> Good luck, Sam. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. Bit of Death Stranding for you. Okay, let's go. There's these like kind of ghost entities called beached things or BTs for short, okay. and what they are are kind of like people that have passed away during the event called the Death Stranding, which is kind of like a. It's similar to like a nuke in a way. It's hard to describe. It's an apocalyptic. It's, it's an apocalyptic event, basically. Yeah, so it's like apocalyptic okay. event. People have passed away, and their kind of beings have turned into these things called BTs. But if you're a human, you can't see them. But some people can sense them. So this little baby thing that you have called BB um, can activate activate like a little sensor that pops up in your arm and tells you where they are. So basically, it's Haley Joel Osment in the Sixth Sense. <laughs> yes. You <laughs> <laughs> can see dead things. Yes. <laughs> but okay. what, what's even like great about it is that you kind of get to care for the baby the more you spend time playing the game and there, there's even a mechanic where if the baby cries you have to stop and rock the baby i ain't got time for this shit boys i'm gonna be honest <laughs> i'm not rocking the baby like i'm not <laughs> i mean you, you can be a neglectful yeah, kind that's, of that's... parent on it and leave it to cry and it'll it will be quiet but eventually it's annoying it cries through the controller on your ps4 is it option to like drop kick it and just <laughs> no! <laughs> you can't kick. Well, I was going to spoil the game. Well, you can't well, kick a baby. Guys, we talk about drop kicking babies. <laughs> <laughs> would it would it make you care for BB more, Corey? If I told you mm-hmm. that Gelmo del Toro cares for it as well in the game. Oh yeah, yeah. And yeah. Nicholas Winding Refn helps you as well. Yeah, boys, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> and and Les to do is your best friend in the game. Yeah. Oh boys, I'm in. And you, you're on the you're hunt, be hunted by Mads Mikkelsen. I I said I was in. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I don't think we could even touch the story uh, in this podcast. But that in itself is just. I'll, I'll put it this way, Crow. There's a character called Die Hard Man. <laughs> <laughs> and his and his name, I, his actual name. I shit you not. Let me just Google him for a second. <laughs> I know what it is. You know what it is. Let me just uh, Die Hard Man. Yeah, what do you, what so do you reckon that... Die Hard Man's real name is? Bruce. Mm, do you want to know what his name is? Go on. John Blake McClay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a piss stick. <laughs> I'm being serious. I don't believe John, John Blake McLean, Die Hard Man. Yep. Oh, I'm going to need that copy, Bruce. I'm going to need yeah. it. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you want it, mate, I'll send it to you. It's, uh, 
it's an experience. And then on, on the other side, uh, like a learning curve other than kind of the parcel system with Death Stranding, I went back to the original Dark Souls, the remastered version of it, which I've completed twice now. Uh, I love it. I love Dark Souls. I know, again, it's a kind of Marmite game where people either pick it up and they hate it because it's so gruelingly difficult as soon as you get into it. But I just love it. I think the way the world in that game is integrated into the gameplay because there's, there's no actual kind of like cutscenes or anything like that. All the stories kind of told in the environment. Mm. and how you explore it, and the map is integrated so well. Yeah, it's, the, it's a great game. The only thing I heard about that was that it was so hard to play. Yeah. The difficulty that, was That's the thing, though, with it, because there's no actual difficulty level. It's down to you. Mm. Like, I know it's become a bit of a meme now, but like <laughs> it is down to you to get good. <laughs> 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 and and that's the great thing about it. It's got this risk-reward system where you'll you'll be in a boss fight, and you're like, you know what? I'll take that extra hit, and it might pay off. Yeah. I've never played Dark Souls. I've played Bloodborne for a bit. Um, never completed it because, again, it was too hard. But I think people have said that Bloodborne is like an access route into Dark Souls. Um, See, I, I wouldn't say that. I thought Bloodborne, in comparison to Dark Souls, was absolutely brutal. Really? Yeah. Maybe that's just because I'm shit at the game. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought like the, the learning curve from that in comparison to Dark Souls is way harder. Mm. It's it's got a similar like the engine is obviously the same and yeah. like the play style, but the actual kind of flow of the battles and everything is so much different. But I think I remember because I've watched um, on YouTube watched this guy called H Bomber Guy, and he yeah. does really good video essays on games and stuff. And he did one about Dark Souls, and he compared it. Oh no, I think he did one on Bloodborne, but as like talk about in comparison to Dark Souls, and he was talking about how in Dark Souls it's much more about a defense kind of game where you've got to kind of preserve your health and dodge and stuff but take your time to strike whereas in bloodborne it's much more aggressive like you kind of gain health by doing damage to people and it's like a whole different risk reward system compared to dark souls you know but i think that game that video i saw i watched that convinced me by how good that game could be if i yeah. was any better at gaming than i actually am <laughs> so <laughs> I think Reese, I'm. I think I'm going to send you Dark Souls. Mate, I can't play Dark Souls. I'm sorry. I, wish... I think I'm going to send it you. <laughs> Mate, you've heard me in the gulag. All right. I could not handle Dark Souls. <laughs> I, I, I would pay to see you stream Dark Souls. <laughs> that would be honestly... Reese punching his wall. Yes. Just... <laughs> I'd have a camera on me, and you would see my kitchen slowly deteriorate <laughs> behind me. <laughs> like winning a boss fight. On your own in in Dark Souls is as satisfying as winning a Warzone match. Mm. You, you feel like you've gone on a like a ten hour journey trying to defeat him. It's even more satisfying because it, it doesn't again like Death Stranding it doesn't have a traditional multiplayer system. You kind of have there's two states of play. When you die, you become undead, and it kind of disconnects you from like the multiplayer kind of aspects of the game. Mm. If you kind of absorb the thing called embers. It reactivates them, so every player that you know on your friends list that's been embered, you can like go to a certain point in the game and summon them in, and then you can go to the next boss fight, like part together and fight them. I've heard that. I think that's a really cool feature because you can even do it like random players. You'll get to like the like the checkpoint where the boss fight is, mm. and there'll be player signs on the floor, so you can spawn people that are just ready and waiting to come and help you. So there's been many a time where I've got to like a boss that's maybe taking me two hours to do, and then somebody's sign will appear randomly. And they'll help me win it, and I'll be like, you know what? You you just changed my life. I'm gonna tattoo your <laughs> name on my ass now. <laughs> Tramp stamp. <laughs> I'm just yeah. I'm not sure I'd be good at it. However, 
now that I've played Tsushima, I'm convinced to, to try and get Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. Because oh, that's the same I, people, isn't it? I really sense. wanted to like that game. I really, really wanted to like that mm. game. My friend really but liked I, it. I just found it similar to like Bloodborne. And again, maybe it's just because I'm bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't get into it. I thought like the, the theme of the game, the, the setting was spot on. But the gameplay wasn't it. And it's funny because Shishima's got elements yeah. similar to Sekiro, like with the grapple hook and stuff like that. Definitely does, yeah. But I find the combat in Shishima to be really, really satisfying. Mm. I agree Corey will find out when I send him his Criterion version of Shishima. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said this in my, my review of it. I still find it so crazy how satisfying getting a perfect parry is even now like 50 hours into the game like if you hit that perfect parry where the player like loses all control and you get a free shot at him I'm like oh just it is beautiful moment to kind of achieve <laughs> i love it. it it links me to actually my next question which uh cory and kind of broached on earlier with the last of us and kind of narrative games mm. i think with us being in lockdown have we all been kind of trying to get like a cinematic experience within games instead because there's obviously not been a lot of new films for us to watch <laughs> I think, so it's kind of like yeah. these have been a substitute mm. so i just wondered what you guys thought on whether games now especially in the past couple of years like the advent of uncharted and whatnot whether it's a bad thing that they're becoming too cinematic because there's an argument there whether going too much like a film is actually detracting from the gameplay mm. itself i think it's kind of absurd to say that games can be too cinematic uh, i don't mm. know whether it's because we come from a film background but for me, the, the main difference between watching a film and playing a game is control. Yeah. So as much as I love watching a film, I have no control over what I'm watching. You know, the filmmaker has made it. It's the way it is. You know, I just have to watch it for what it's worth. With a game, I have control over the character. My decisions impact my storyline. And I just feel like having control over the world that you're in is something that you can't get from, from cinema. So I think having cinematic elements that you can control is a wonderful thing and i think with you know games like the last of us you make one slight move wrong move and you're dead and the game you know the game's over sort of thing so i think having control is such a major part of the gaming ex experience that you can't get anywhere else especially not in films so i don't know i've always found that argument to be quite naff to be honest I'm exactly with you. I think that the fact that you've got control over the characters, like, for example, Joel and Last of Us, mm. like, but you're both caring for Joel and also you are, literally, you are Joel yourself as well. You are part mm. of the narrative in that regard. So there is, you do feel a disconnect, sorry, a connect with the characters mm. when you've got to do really awful things in games. You're thinking, I am doing this to certain characters, you know? Like, there's, there's points in Shishima, I don't want to spoil it, but there's a storyline um, to do with Lady, Ma Lady Masako, which had one of the most like surprising, shocking, and like emotionally, you know, brutal moments I've had in the game for a long time. And it was because I was making the character do something I didn't want him to do, but because mm. I was like, I am controlling him, I've got to make this decision. I was mm. like, this is just this added another layer to the actual uh, story experience, you know, that you kind of make having to do the choice that you maybe don't want to, and you are thinking, oh, what would Jin do? What would I do? You know, you're comparing. Mm your experiences side by side and i think yeah i don't really understand that whole argument of why being cinematic is bad um and is that i know it's a it's a fancy term that gets thrown around is that isn't it called ludo narrative dissonance isn't that Ooh. the thing Ooh. yeah 
that's the idea that like the game you play is pure, is not controlled by you like you are just mm. literally pressing play and the story is playing in front of you and i just don't really agree with that like last of us part two part one for example they are very cinematic stories and yet they're both so enthralling that i just didn't care i think it's the same for the telltale games like the walking dead and... yes it's all yeah. yeah it's all narrative based like there's mm. very little action in those films uh, in those games sorry they're very cinematic but your decisions mean everything and it mm. tailors your experience and i feel like why not merge the two i don't know i just don't see why you think that's a bad thing you know yeah you see i'd i'd personally compare like the kind of new approach in the last like 5 or 6 years with like the cinematic kind of style in games to kind of like a Netflix series mm-hmm. and, and kind of like something like Daredevil. Like that, w- the story that you get in those kind of seasons wouldn't work in like a standard MCU film. Mm. That's true. But be- but because you've got the freedom of expression with a video game, which can be 60 to 70 hours long, like Red Dead Redemption 2, for example, which took me like playing it every day after I finish work for like a solid month to complete the main story. Yeah. You, you've got that expression to tell these wider stories. And I think, again, maybe it's just because we come from like a film background. I enjoy having that sense of like I'm inside like the film of my dreams kind of thing. Yeah. Like playing Red Dead, like, yeah, I'm in a Sergio Leone yeah, Western yeah, right yeah. now and I get to control how this goes. If I want to wear the damn poncho and have a gold gun, I can do that. Yeah. I'm I'm the Clint Eastwood of this story. <laughs> but then there's there's the argument on the other side as well, like from the gameplay point of view, I think when this thing kind of started initially, a lot of it was kind of based a lot in cutscenes and a lot in kind of quick time events. Yeah, yeah, I get that. I, f- yeah. I think over the last couple of years, it's not been as bad. Mm. I think, you've again, you've got things like the Uncharted series especially like the fourth one i think in particular that's took like the kind of indiana jones film approach because the the fourth one to me feels a lot like the last crusade because you you play as like young nathan drake and you see how he kind of evolved into the character he is now mm-hmm. and i like having that kind of approach to the game it feels like i'm experiencing something i wouldn't get in the film medium it, it, it's an interesting argument mm-hmm. But for me personally, I I prefer having that longevity to the experience. I think it also as well. I think it does a disservice to the people who write video game stories. Yeah, of to be able to be able to write a story that is thirty hours long and make yeah, it as good course. as it is. You know, like writing a story over two hours is difficult. Writing a story over thirty hours and making it good is even more difficult. And I think so many games have got amazing stories. Like I've not played it yet. But Uncharted 4, I've heard, is incredible. Red Dead 2 story is amazing. And it, both those games are well long. And mm. it's just, it, you know, really, you've got to appreciate how much time and craft goes into making a good video game story. The thing like, as well with writing a game, we kind of see it from an outside perspective of, of, of them writing the game is purely just the main narrative beats. Yeah. But you've got to think when they're writing that, they're not also just writing the main story, they're also writing in the side content, mm-hmm. all the lines of NPC dialogue that affect yeah. everything else as well, and how that weaves into the overall experience. Because yeah. I, I, even though like when we've played like Shishima, for example, we've done the side quests in our own kind of order and at, at will, I imagine that they've wrote it in mind maybe that maybe we should go to a certain mm. character first and then go to another character, and there is a kind of like balance to the story. 
I so, definitely got that vibe when I I think I didn't I only finished two of them before I got to the final couple of missions. Yeah. Um, and I definitely felt like oh, I wish I knew what was going on in this person's story before I got to the end. Like for example, um, Yuna in Shima, I didn't touch her side after I finished the whole game, and it was like so I I felt like her role in the final gate in the final mission wasn't as strong for me personally as it probably would have been had I'd seen her whole story. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um. So yeah, it. I I would say if you are playing Shima, play the side quests before you play the final missions because it will affect your overall enjoyment of the last few missions. I think touching that as well on on the last question, I know I, when I screened the questions to you earlier, it's a bit of a hefty one. <laughs> but um, <laughs> with these like us using these games as like in a like a substitute for films, and again with us all being inside for the last couple of months, it, it is a coping mechanism in a way, because we're, mm. we're, we're trying to experience things we're not getting at the moment. Mm. And I just, I just wondered how you guys in particular were using games as like a coping mechanism for everything that's going on, whether, whether it's good or bad things. Mm. I think what I touched on earlier about having control, I think in the world that we're living in at the minute, we just don't have that level of control in our lives. You know, We have to kind of obey by the rules so that you know <clears throat> we can get out of this shitstorm as uh, as quickly as and as efficiently as possible. Mm. So I think going into a cinematic and experience through gaming and having that control and being the kind of controller of another world that isn't bound by these rules, I think for me that's where I get my escapism from the world that we're living in right now. I think I'm slightly different in that. I I think I've probably played more games than I expected to play during lockdown. I thought I'd watch many more films, but I think because of having no cinema, like the mm-hmm. desire to watch films hasn't been there for me as much as it used to. Yeah. Um. But then, so I've played much more games, and then with things like playing games like Warzone, it has as lame as it sounds. It's really, really made really strong connections with friends. Like it's made me. Oh kind my of god! Talk, yeah. Yeah. It's made me talk to people more. Like. I've got friends up here that I don't see that much in, like, that, you know, live near me. And I've been with them on Warzone for a while. It's been really fun to talk to them in a different manner than I usually would. And then with you guys as well, it's just been, it's been so helpful to go to somewhere that it does feel normal. Mm. We've got, like, that common ground of we can just play a game together. And it's just, it's absolutely revolutionized, you know, the PS4 over the last few months because it has been there as, like, it's like been my rock, you know. Uh, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things where I think COD got it so lucky that lockdown happened, bizarrely. Because I think so Warzone too. took off as a result mm. of it. Mm. Um, but then if if there was if it, you know if there was a Warzone, we probably would have been on Apex or Fortnite or something as well. You know, it's just been the gaming community has kind of come together very nicely mm. in, over lockdown because we have been able to kind of stay online more. And play more games and do more things on it which we wouldn't have done before like i'm certain i wouldn't have bought shishima had mm. i been out of lockdown because it, it just didn't strike as my kind of game but here mm. i am having written a massive review of it um it is a mammoth review <laughs> i think gaming is the only medium that hasn't really been that affected by lockdown mm-hmm. obviously film production has stopped entirely Music has been affecting insofar as we can't go to live events and yeah. that sort of thing. Whereas gaming, you're in the comfort of your own, in your own house, in your own solitude, and you can play digitally and virtually with on people online, and that kind of keeps your social cues you know, on track. 
Mm. And I just think it's the only medium right now that's probably the most viable and the most yeah. effective. And I think it's really kind of benefited from that as well, as you were saying, not just Warzone, but the medium as a whole. I'm in like a similar position to Reese. Like I've got friends that live up here, but I don't really see them that much anyway prior, like prior to lockdown because we're all doing different things. Like some of them are like uni in different parts of the country and whatnot. So having Warzone specifically for me, to restore a bit of balance where I can come on at a certain time of day and just be like, hey guys, what's going on? Bit mm. of normality to everything. It's yeah. been a really beautiful thing. And I think like in particular, I know we're like in our experience, I think over the last couple of months, I know we've all been like in the jump cut team for like a couple of years or so, but I think in the last like four, four or five months, we've all become like much better friends. Oh, well, that was dope, mate. That was dope. Be- be- because of like having Warzone to go to. I think I don't want to throw someone under the bus, but Murphy, who we all love, who's part of the Jump Cut team, mm. he's expressed a few times, you know, he struggles with confidence or whatever, and I think what Warzone has done is kind of brought him up his shell, and he's made really good friends with us, and we've become really good friends with him. I think that's just one kind of case study of how gaming can really help people. Yeah, I think it has such a hard time as a medium. You know, people blame it for things that happen in the real world we don't give it enough credit for being a distraction to the real world. And I think mm. it can have such a massive benefit on so many people. I think we should really give it credit for that. 100%. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, it's it's a weird one as well, because I think from an outside point of view, like obviously people see all the jump cut kind of team tweet each other and whatnot, mm. but we, we don't all talk to each other like, as often as people might think. I mm. know we have kind of like the, the team chat that we contribute to every now and again, mm. but I, I think obviously people can't always be part of that because they're busy. So Murphy, obviously, he's been one of like kind of the the OG jump cutters mm. in the last like five years from its inception, and he's only just come back recently in the last year or so. And I've never really talked to him. Mm. Obviously, that interact with him on Twitter, and then it's only because of this magical thing with Warzone. Like we've we've we talk to each other on a daily basis now. Yep. Mm. It, it, it's such a incredible thing that it's done and again i don't know whether if this covid thing hadn't had happened whether warzone would have had that same effect i i don't think so personally yeah i think it would have been a success but i don't think it would have been as massive a Mm. you know success story as it has been yeah i I think it's definitely been kind of the the bridge even for people that don't necessarily play games all the time just as kind of like a social hub just to kind of just chill out because it's got to the point now where us guys play it and we're not necessarily just playing it i know we we like to play it competitively and whatnot but i think it's got to the point now recently where we, we literally just come on it a couple hours at night just to catch up yeah exactly. i agree yeah. It, it's purely for the social aspect now which i think is like a really beautiful thing that got well corny boys i'll be, I'll be honest it did not gonna lie boys i'm a bit i'm a bit teary-eyed <laughs> <laughs> First episode of Playcast, and I, I brought the tears. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's what we need. It's so emotional. <laughs> but I think I think that's a good point of, of as any to wrap it up before we all start crying. Yeah. But uh, before <laughs> we go, and jump I'd, on Warzone. And <laughs> jump on Warzone. It's true, guys. Every night there's a text that comes through: beat me, beat Murphy, beat Corey. It's like, guys. 11 p.m. <laughs> Jumping on. It's Warzone time. <laughs> it's Warzone time. But before we go, I've got a little bit of admin to do. So with being a Patreon subscriber, you get a beautiful shout out. 
not just on Jumpcast, the main series now, but also on Playcast, which I think is pretty cool. Even better, I think, than Jumpcast. No offense, Jumpcast. (laughs) (laughs) Shots fired, shots fired. (laughs) So I'd like to thank Chris Wilson, Let There Be Light Productions, Zoe Baines, Dal Griffiths, Sam Luck, Ola Smith, Peter Hodgkins, Nicole Pott, Andy Meakin, Fabiana Rosas, and Hamish Calvert. Your support is very much appreciated. And if you'd like to have your voice read out in my sultry tones, <laughs> you can become a Patreon subscriber and get access to things such as a certain Spy Kids podcast yes. hosted by your own <laughs> Reese Rubberger. <laughs> that is me. And uh, that episode is really fun. I really enjoyed doing that. Um, Super spicy. And we've also, as a kind of segue with someone else in the room right now, we also, the first episode was about Inception, which Corey mm. Hughes starred in. And we've had some glowing reviews of the Inception episode. So if you want to have some really, really fun, good content and actually interesting content about those two films, please go ahead and get on Patreon and listen to the Inception and Spy Kids podcasts. The Inception one is a belter. I've never heard so much about Greek, Greek mythology in 40 minutes. <laughs> Sorry. Incredible. <laughs> it was awesome. Yeah. And with supporting us on Patreon too, you also get a free copy of every issue of Jump Cut magazine every time it's released, and that's at any tier. And we have our <coughs> second issue coming out in September, mm-hmm. which we're all very excited to release. Every, you know, all the donations that we get and all the Patreon subscribers that we get help us fund writers to get paid opportunities to write, to have their words paid for and commissioned, which is so, so important in the digital era that we're in with freelance journalism at the minute. So many people want to earn. You know, a bit of income for their words, and rightfully so. And thanks to your help and your generosity, we've finally been able to do that. So thank, thank you. Don't make me cry again, Corey. <laughs> 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 but with that being said, before we go, other than obviously the admin of our beautiful Jump Cut Online, is there anything else you'd like to plug, guys? Corey, you first, mate. No, just keep it, keep an eye out on everything Jump Cut related. We're doing some amazing things, amazing features going out every month as well as reviews and interviews and stuff. So we really appreciate your support and just keep it going. Thank you. Um, and I mentioned it earlier, but if you could go to jumpcutonline.co.uk and have a look at my new Ghost of Tsushima review, that would be pretty nice. I spent a long time on it and it's very long. <laughs> so maybe have a cuppa next year to keep you going through it. Um, it is an absolute mammoth. I really enjoyed writing it, and also it's also a review that doesn't spoil any story beats or anything. Oh, I've kept, I've kept it as you know, you know, helpful as I can, as I could without spoiling any of the major moments in the game because there are so many cool moments that I just you need to experience for yourselves in Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, but that's it. Yeah, just that review of Tsushima would be lovely. Thank you very much. It's an absolute banger. I, I really, really enjoyed reading it. I can't say enough. Thanks, it's man. such a good review. But with that being said, this has been the first episode of Playcast. And if you want to catch more of it, make sure to follow at Jumpcast underscore on Twitter and keep up with the team at Jumpcut Play at Jumpcut underscore play. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. And we will see you again very soon. Bye-bye. Bye, Bye. guys. Bye.